Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everybody, Tom Salami here. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. So robots have been uh, keeping us safe in one way or the other for, for many years. There's the kind of the campy one of many decades ago, the stuff that we grew up on, listening to Lost in Space. There's a more caring and, and cuddly version. Hello, I am Baymax, your personal healthcare companion. Personal favorite of mine from uh, from Big Hero Six. So there's been uh, been a, a long time uh, hope that robots would would come into the healthcare realm and provide. More than surgical assistance, but but actual care and compassion for uh, for patients, and and we're beginning to see that come together. We're we're likely still a long time away, but but progress is here. And our guest today, and Steve Krupa was uh, was kind enough to conduct this interview, but he wasn't able to help me with this intro. Our guest today is Corey Kidd. Corey is a founder and the CEO of a company called Catalia Health that has set up a, uh, a small device, a small robotic device it's, that's equipped with, uh, with a sort of tablet computer to, uh, to track a patient's uh, health, to help them manage chronic care, but perhaps most importantly to give them a, a compassionate face for that care. So Steve will talk with Corey about how the idea came together, how the company came together, and uh, it's, a, it's a great little story, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into the conversation with uh, Corey Kidd, I just wanted to remind you that uh, registration for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is open. So go to healthag.com, that's the word health, followed by letters egy.com, to register. And it's going to happen on November 30th in Boston. Now let's get into this conversation with Corey Kidd of Catalia Health. <laughs> Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Corey Kidd from Catalia Health. Welcome to the podcast, Corey. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about, oh, I have a feeling we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that cool stuff um, and, and, and how it relates to the product that you're building. Let me, let me first give, uh, you know, give you the opportunity to sort of explain to me uh, why you uh, why you decided to start your own business instead of just getting a good steady job someplace, and uh, and why why healthcare? What 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 uh, what was well, the inspiration? Well, that would just be too boring. The good steady <laughs> job, right? <laughs> I don't know. You know, depends. <laughs> well, yeah, it is too boring. Maybe you're unqualified. Take a day of the that. week and know. how you feel, right? Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling your listeners are, are, are quite familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. With, with those challenges and those trade-offs. Yeah. Uh, you know, quickly, my background, and, you know, we can delve in further if any of it's of interest, but I've been in the health tech space for about 20 years now, the first half of that in academia, the second half in the startup world. And broadly, the kind of things that have interested me are applying new cutting-edge technology to broad healthcare challenges. And, you know, I think that if we look at a lot of established companies, you know, more and more established companies are trying to do things new and cutting edge. But if you really want to be out there 
uh, at the leading edge of this, you've often got to do it yourself. And that's kind of what I saw before I started my first company a decade ago and before I started Kataya Health three years ago. And so to me, that's always made the most sense and uh, in order to really work on the kinds of things that I've wanted to do. So what, what, what is there something specific about healthcare that you find, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll lay my, my roots out there. You tell me if yours are similar or different, but I always look at healthcare and I say, my God, my goodness, this is like one of the one area, one area of the economy that a, uh, has a, a mixed record of adopting, uh, computer science technologies and, and, and having it really, really benefit the businesses, um, and has overall, a um, a cost benefit profile that is nowhere near as efficient as a lot of other industries, and so it's kind of interesting for me, at least, to try to change that, just given the the benefit of the service to people, right? And so, trying to make it better is sort of the way I think about it. Is is that is that is that what appealed to you? I think that's a big piece of it. You know, I certainly wouldn't argue with anything that you've said. There's a big economic component to it in terms of improving people's lives. Uh, and the other piece of it is, you know, maybe we could think about the demographic piece of it, right? Healthcare is challenging for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, healthcare over medicine over the last century or so has made incredible advances. We live so much longer than we did even a century ago, but there are huge challenges that come with that, you know, with us living longer now we're dealing with a lot more chronic disease. And so the healthcare system or medicine can't look like what it did 50, 60, 80 years ago. More and more of it's in our own hands. And, you know, I've always had an interest in both technology and medicine, you know, going back uh, a number of years now, you know, I was deciding whether to go to school uh, originally for computer science and go have kind of the technology route or go pre-med, you know, go into med school. Um, you know, as well, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about, I went the, the technology route, but I've always combined those two things. And so it's a way to, you know, play with the fun, cool new technology, but in a way that makes real impact in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I talk, I've been talking to a lot of um, people in the industry around this notion of improving people's lives and, and particularly people with chronic conditions and so forth. And one of the statements that that's often made is, is that there's, there is now all of a sudden this respect for uh, social determinants of health, right? So we, we know there's a genetic determinant, and some people would say that's 20% rounding, right? Uh, we know there's sort of a luck determinant, like something bad happens to you, and that's a, let's say, 20%. And then there's this big bucket of social determinants. Some of it is behavioral. Uh, a lot of it's behavioral. A lot of it's psychological. Some of it's got to do with... Um, you know, ingrained patterns. And it's really that big chunk of, say, 60% uh, of the population that can't get that stuff together in order to manage their chronic conditions. Um, and I'm wondering if that's sort of part of the inspiration for your new company in terms of trying to help deal with the, that those notions. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's a big focus of what we do, right? As we figure out medicine clinically. You know, we come up with new techniques, new procedures, new drugs, other treatments and interventions. That's great, right? That, that makes a huge impact. But so many of those are not things that are going to happen once, right? A surgical procedure is a little bit simpler in this respect, right? You go in, you do it, and, uh, and that's it. 
but many of these things are something that we have to do on an ongoing basis, right? Taking a drug or giving myself an injection every day or week or month or, you know, behavioral therapies, anything like this that requires me as an individual to follow up outside the clinic. That's where this becomes a huge challenge and helping people to follow up on the, the myriad things that we need to do to manage our own health is really the focus of what I've been working on for many years and the focus of Catalia Health as well. And, and, and we sort of then, then come back to, because I know your background is in robotics and so forth. And, I, and just to share with you, I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer from way back. Um, so when I was in school in the 80s, we were starting to build robots. But these robots, you know, they didn't have a lot going for them back then. Um, other than the <laughs> fact that we could figure out how to use, uh, you know, very primitive um, microprocessors to move linkage, you know, linkages and so forth and propel and sort of get them to do some, some interesting things. Right. Robotics, give me, give me, before we get into the company, just give me your history of robotics for the last 20 years. What's, what's been happening in robotics that's, uh, that's really cool? Well, you know, first thing I have to admit is I've been to two engineering schools, Georgia Tech and MIT, <laughs> but I don't have an engineering degree. Right. So, <laughs> well, you're a computer. My undergrad degree is in computer science. Uh, my master's and PhD both say media, arts, and sciences on them. Yeah. So, you know, definitely done a bit of engineering, built some robots, but I'm not the expert in that. You know, what I've focused in, you know, originally computer science with a focus on artificial intelligence and human-computer interaction. My grad work was a combination of AI, psychology, and then medicine. So really about bringing together these different disciplines. Robotics has really come into being a part of this over the last 15, 16 years as we start to look at social robots or interactive robots, things that can interact in the, the real human world. So a bit different than a lot of the, the kind of traditional robotics when we think about manufacturing or automation. These are things that talk to us, that share space with us, you know, the, the kinds of things that we're just starting to see come onto the market now. You know, I started working with these in 2001, trying to understand the basics of what's going on here. And, you know, I spent a couple of years doing a number of studies that of course, involved technology. We're building and programming robots, but it was really about psychology and understanding what's happening when people interact with robots. And the, the short explanation of that couple of years of work is, you know, we're talking uh, over the phone. Everyone's listening through their, you know, favorite mobile device to this podcast. But that's different than if any of us were having a face-to-face -face conversation. And we get intuitively that face-to-face -face is different. Turns out that psychologically, we actually know what that difference is. When we're face-to-face -face with someone, we're more engaged, we're creating a stronger relationship that's going to last longer. We find that person that we're talking with to be more credible, more informative, more trustworthy. What those early studies showed is that those differences actually carry over into the world of technology. In other words, putting a physical robot in front of someone, as opposed to delivering some conversation or interaction through a screen-based interface, actually gives you those psychological differences. You're more likely to engage that person to create a relationship for them to find that robot more trustworthy, credible, and informative than the same character on the screen. So that's the, the piece where robotics has actually become an important part of the healthcare technology work that I've continued to do over the decades. So uh, let's do it. Let's let let let's make let's make the combination of of the two, right? What is and and so what is Catalia Health doing around care management, patient 
patient management and 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 the, and the psychological notions that you just described. What what's the, what's the basis for uh, your ideas here? Well, the big picture is what we're focused on is chronic care management. So there's issues like we were talking about a few minutes ago, where you know if I'm a patient, things that I'm going to have to deal with, you know, not for a few days or a few weeks, but for months or years or decades, you know, typically a lifetime for many chronic diseases. And so the way that we approach that, you know, we're, we're building a couple of things here. There's hardware and software. You know, if you go to our website, the first thing you're going to see is a cute little yellow robot. And that robot is important for the reasons we just talked about having that interface. Uh, but, you know, we didn't even design that robot ourselves. We brought in IDO, the international design firm, to help with that. Most of what we do is the software behind it. So we think of the software as bringing together three things. One is medicine, right? Medically, what are we doing with a particular patient population? We're rolling out with patients in the next few months and things diverse as rheumatoid arthritis or a particular late-stage cancer or congestive heart failure. Those are actually our first three applications. So medically, what do we need to help these patients with? What are the conversations that we need to be able to have with them to follow up on, to give advice on, et cetera? So that's piece number one. Second is psychology. So I touched on a little bit of the, the reasons behind the psychology, but really the two types of psychology that we draw on here are the psychology of relationships. So how do we as people create, build up, and maintain relationships over time, as well as the psychology of behavior change? And each of these things are going to really impact how we structure a conversation. And then finally, the third piece, in addition to the medicine and the psychology, the third piece that ties this together are the artificial intelligence algorithms. And what we're really doing there is generating a conversation on the fly for that person. So based on the context and everything we know about that individual, we're creating a conversation that's going to be most useful for that person right now. Part of that's medical. Hey, did you take your pill this morning? Did you measure your blood pressure? Whatever's relevant. Part of it's psychological. You know, how are you feeling about this? Can I give you some tips or some advice that are going to be good for you? Uh, And then, you know, that, that ties us all together to create this conversation ultimately building a relationship with the patient so that we can help them stay on therapy longer. And then what we're doing is we're helping share that information back to the clinical caregivers. So some of that information might be going to a doctor or to a nurse or to a pharmacist. And from a patient's perspective, then this can be a tool that helps to better connect them to their existing caregivers. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, right? I mean, I had, I have to tell you, I hadn't really thought about this notion of the psychology of an interaction with a robot. Can you, can you dig into that a little bit? Because I, I get AI and machine learning, and I know there's wonderful things that we can do with that. And so, um, and, and we see it happen to us sort of every day in, in everyday life now at this point, right? Um, Certainly. But, but, but explain to me a little bit of the psychology involved around uh, the relationship side. So generally, you know, when someone's chronically ill and a provider or uh, a health insurance company wants to have an interaction with that person, it's almost always been historically by phone, right? Because there's been they've, – they've been sick enough to where it matters to get in touch with them. We're moving right. to an environment where we may start, start having – digital inter- inter- interactions because nobody, nobody answers their phone anymore. A, I, I, I don't. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, and, and, and B, you know, the digital interaction creates a greater sort of platform to scale, right? Where, where does the sort of psychological, psychology of robotics come in here? 
Well, so, so let's think of it before we even get into the psychology about what you just talked about, right? That the reality is interacting with a lot of chronic care patients is not in person, right? We don't go into the doctor's office or the hospital every day. We can't afford to have a nurse or a home health aide come out to every chronic disease patient's home on a daily basis. And we just look at the numbers and demographics, right? If we look right. at the adult population in the U.S., we've got 49% of adults in this country dealing with a chronic condition on a daily basis, right? right? So the numbers are just enormous. And so what we do have are these calls, but also given those numbers, these are not daily. These are maybe weekly, often monthly, right? And so that check-in is great. That's really helpful. And uh, that, that's actually, I think, an important part of the healthcare system moving forward. And what we're doing is not replacing that, but augmenting it. That check-in is great, right? But if I'm calling you once a month to ask, you know, did you take your pill every day? You know, what happened with, uh, with this incident a couple of weeks ago? Have you been feeling, you know, whatever those questions are, you know, it's, you're going to be hard enough pressed if I ask you what you had for lunch on Wednesday to answer that question, <laughs> let alone remember if you took a twice daily pill two and a half weeks ago, or you had a flare up of, uh, you know, an issue with your knee or whatever it might be, right? It's just hard to recall that. What we're doing with the, the relationship that we're creating using technology is enabling that follow-up to happen much more frequently. So one of the big challenges with this infrequent check-in is it's really easy for patients to fall off therapy, whether that be, you know, something like, uh, you know, doing rehab at home or taking a medication every day or measuring my blood pressure or often some combination of these things. It's really, really common for us to just stop doing that after a few days, a few weeks, or a few months. And so what we're doing is trying to encourage patients to stick with these types of things for longer. And again, connecting them back to the people that do that. And that's where this relationship and the psychology comes in. So when this robot gets introduced is at one of two points in time. One, a new diagnosis. Two, a new treatment for an existing diagnosis. So what we're not doing is just taking every patient who's on, say, a certain drug and giving them one of these. It's about using those two points in time because at those points in time, there's this intrinsic motivation. Right? If I get a diagnosis for something, you know, maybe there's some shock or you know, other things that I have to deal with right away, but in general, I'm going to be motivated. I'm, you know, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to do a great job of you know, doing this every day, what my doctor said, et cetera. Right? We all go into these situations you know, wanting to do the right thing. So we introduced this at that point in time as a tool to help patients do what they already want to do. And so through that, start to build up this relationship. You know, we call the robot, you know, her, her name is Mabu, but we call her a coach, right? Something to kind of coach me along to, again, help me do the things I want to do every day. And so that's really where the relationship starts. And then what we're doing over time is we're learning more about that individual so that we can adapt to them, right? No two of us are alike as people. The way we like to hear information, be told what to do, given suggestions, whatever it might be, certainly varies a lot from person to person. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we're trying to learn about in these conversations that patients have with the robot in order to effectively do that with them over time and create the conversation that's right for that person. Hey, everyone, Tom here. I just want to take a quick break from this conversation with Corey Kidd to remind you that the registration for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is open. I mentioned it at the top. Mentioning again, it has sold out the last two years. Likely will sell it again. We're working the agenda. I met with the uh, co-chairs last week and the advisory board. 
in a uh, conference call. Things are, are shaping up, and we'll have an agenda up on the website, healthogy.com, as soon as possible. But uh, do sign up now so uh, we don't have to uh, close the doors on you. We've, we've had to do that a few times the last couple of years. No one likes to do it, but um, space is limited. So go to healthogy.com, register for the summit, which is taking place on November 30th in Boston. So the actual interaction with the robot is a conversation. There is, there is English language sentences being exchanged between the two parties. Correct. That's you can awesome. uh, check out our website if you want to yeah. see like a short video. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a conversation back and forth. You know, the robot says, "Hey, how are you doing this afternoon? Just wanted to check in on you. You know, see how everything was going. How are you feeling? You know, really, it's again, it's tailored to that person at that point in time. So based on a lot of different things that we know about them, we're going to create the conversation right then for that person. And and so, how far is uh, how far is a robot able to go with the conversation? In terms of the well, uh, you know, I think <laughs> right. one, yeah, one one thing to understand about I mean, where Westworld, we are right? right? Now. Have you been watching Westworld at all? You must love Westworld. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's a it's a must see if you're anywhere around this industry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's use that as an example for those who haven't seen it. Well, so, okay, so we uh, we're nothing like Westworld. <laughs> for one thing, you can take a look at the robot. Yep. You're, uh, we're not trying to look human like, right? right? There's this concept in the world of robotics of, of what's called the uncanny valley, right? This, this concept that you start to get too human-like and something looks creepy. Yep. And so a good way to avoid that is just to stay way away from the, the human-like appearance. And that's what we do, right? So no one is ever going to look at one of our robots and confuse it for a person. This is clearly a device, a thing. So, you know, that's a part of it, right? So setting up expectations. And I think about the uncanny valley in different dimensions as well. In other words, it's not just about the appearance. It's about the voice. It's about what this thing promises explicitly and implicitly, right? What can this thing do for you? What can't it do? And I think setting all of that up in the mind of the user from the very beginning is actually a very important part of of what we do, right? Making sure that people understand what this thing can and can't do for them and setting up the, the interactions in that way is a part of what can make it successful. And so that, that's something that we, of course, take care to do from the beginning. And so, again, it's about using this thing not as something to watch over you and tell you what to do, but about a tool, right? It's a tool to help me do what I'm already trying to accomplish. So give me an example. We don't have the, the ability to sort of play a clip, but, uh, but, but sure. give me an example of what the conversation would be like for a chronically ill patient using uh, Mabu? So just like I started a minute ago, hey, good afternoon, how are you feeling? Right, you can yep. give an answer. Oh, you know, great, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling good today. You know, just, you know, let's have a quick conversation. Did you take your pill this morning like usual? Or did you take your lunchtime pills, whatever it might be? Or uh, uh, I'm not feeling so good today, maybe. Uh, what's wrong? You know, maybe uh, is it one of these common things that uh, someone with, you know, condition, whatever, that, you know, so we know what this patient's dealing with, with, you know, with your disease has, right? And so if you actually look at the robot, you can see there's also a screen on the front, right? Mm-hmm. So voice interaction is getting better and better, but it still doesn't completely replace having some visual interface. And so we'll use that at, in, at times during the conversation. So she can say out loud, you know, uh, you know, how are you feeling? Is it one of these 
you know, are you sorry you're not feeling good? Is it one of these common issues that people experience? And show a list of things on the screen. And the patient can respond by saying one of those, by saying something else, by touching one of those. So, you know, the, the conversation, while it's kind of driven by the robot, so we're not open-ended like your uh, quote-unquote robots on Westworld. <laughs> right, right, right. But we still try to make it uh, seem very natural to the patient, and we've had a lot of success in doing so. Awesome. So how, how far along are you with the product and, and, and the market? Where, where are you today? So Catalia Health as a company is a little over two and a half years old. Yeah. Uh, so in that time, we've done a lot of development. I talked earlier about the first three applications that, uh, that we'll be helping patients with. So rheumatoid arthritis, in particular late stage cancer and congestive heart failure. And we will actually start shipping the product to patients with all three of those diseases later this year. So we're very excited about uh, initial rollouts being on track very soon. And, and I'm assuming that you've been doing a lot of beta, alpha and beta, so you're probably at the end of your beta and sort of working on getting into production. What has, what is, what has been the experience been like for the patients? Have, what have they said and uh, what has their, their response been to the product? So we've been putting various versions of this in front of patients for 10 years now. Right. <laughs> so there's been a lot of feedback. You know, the very, going back to the very first study, uh, I was uh, in Boston finishing up my PhD at MIT. I did my clinical work at Boston University Medical Center. We did a trial based out of BU Med Center. And you know that was intended to be a few months where patients would have these and get them all back, get the data, finish up my dissertation. As it turns out, one of the biggest challenges in that trial, and as you might imagine, the technology was not quite as advanced as what we have today, but one of the biggest challenges then is at the end of a few months, patients wouldn't give the robots back. <laughs> you know, and I went in to pick them up and yeah. these were, again, 10-year-old technology. I'd hand-built all of these in the basement shops at MIT. Uh, they're, you know, bulky white robots. But that's not what was sitting there. They were dressed up, hats, scarves. One of them had a red feather boa around its neck. That's awesome. Every single person who had one had named their robot. And, you know, an interesting thing about the demographics of this particular study, average age in the study was early 40s. And so what that meant is these people were not, you know, this was not an elderly population where I have done a lot of work, but these are people who for the most part were working. Um, you know, they spent on average somewhere between two and three minutes a day talking to this, right? So it's not a huge time commitment. You don't have to come back over and over and over. Um, but with that, what we saw was a very clear relationship being developed. Right? And we don't use that word lightly, right? We're, we're coming from a world of psychology and understanding what that means. And so, you know, in general, that response has followed through in many of the other things that we've done over the last decade, right? As we continue to iterate and evolve and put this in front of patients, you know, different versions of it as we've continued to develop different features, different aspects of the product. And so now, of course, we're very excited to be sending this to a large number of patients very soon. The robot's very cute. I'm looking at it right now. I, I, you know, <laughs> but it does look like a robot. I got to tell you, it, it looks, it looks the Absolutely. way it looks, it looks like what you would expect a robot to, to sort of look like. Um, yeah. and that's very intentional. So is there, is, so the robot does, is using, um, uh, the, the ability to recognize voice feeds and so on and so forth. You're collecting data. I assume that ultimately will be 
used you'll use algorithms and the goal right at the end of the day would be to have the ability to intervene is that is that the case you're in some way shape or form if i am not being compliant which presumably if i have to talk to a robot every day and i'm compliant to do that there's a good probability i'll be compliant with something else namely taking my meds or taking my walks or whatever i'm supposed to be doing but are you are you I'm assuming there's an additive uh, intervention part of this platform. Uh, to, can you talk about that? So the way we're thinking about this is largely around this this notion of increased duration of engagement. In other words, through building this relationship and having the person coming back and using this day after day, week after week, month after month, people do do the things that they're talking to the robot about, i.e. managing a certain disease state. And so the, the outcome there in terms of keeping patients on therapy longer are really the, the intervention, if you will, that we're looking for, right? So being able to keep that patient engaged, keep them on therapy is the key outcome here. And again, that data is going back not just to us to learn about to improve the overall platform, but data about individual patients is going to their doctor, their nurse, or their pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to the people who are providing their care, they're the ones who care about that data. They're, they're the ones for whom that data is actionable. Right? It's something that can help them to provide better care to those individual patients. And so that's really you know, how this system fits together and fits into the existing healthcare system. So it's not about replacing the people that are providing care now. It's about allowing that doctor who sees a patient once every two months to get information in between those visits that might help her or him intervene if and when necessary. So if we look at, say, our congestive heart failure patients coming home from the hospital, getting information every day back to the doctor or the nurse that's helping provide their care so that if they see an issue that might be coming up, they can reach out to that patient and intervene before something bad happens. Gotcha. So talk about the business model. You're about to launch, you're about to ship the product. Um, how, who are your customers um, and, uh, and how are you working with them from a business point of view? So our customers right now are really two types. One is big pharma mm-hmm. and the other are large healthcare systems. So working with the the types of companies that already provide this type of program to patients. Now, that program doesn't have an interface using a robot today, right? right? It's the call centers that you mentioned earlier. But in terms of overall model, we're fitting into exactly what they do today. So the, the core platform that we build is the same with either type of customer. On the pharma side, we're helping keep that patient on therapy for longer, giving feedback to their pharmacy or their doctor. On the healthcare system side, it's about helping to keep those patients out of the hospital and, again, giving them data to help make that happen. So business model is, you know, from a patient's perspective, as of today, this is a a tool that they get for free. They're either on a certain prescription or coming out of the hospital with a certain condition. Our customers, the pharma or the provider, pays us on a per patient per month basis for providing this service. Very cool. Very cool. So um, where can, I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm looking at the website while I'm talking to you just to sort of, you know, and, 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 and you've got a lot of data there. Um, just as, well, let me ask you, 
as a, as a, as a, a pre-closing closing question, um, <laughs> how many people do you have? How many people do you have in the company today? So we're fairly small. We're about 15 people that's in the great. company right now. Yeah, that's great. And what, and, and so give me a sense for the culture there. How, I mean, obviously you get to start this thing from scratch. You get to sort of like uh, decide to make your own rules and think about the world in your own way. What type of culture are you building as you're sort of progressing, uh, building up the company? Well, I think one thing to describe really quickly is the makeup of our team. So, you know, of course, you get a few people on the business side of this, but the majority of people are focused on product. And while the product at first glance is, is a robot, the, the, the makeup of the team shows what we're really focused on in terms of healthcare. So our product team is about half people with technology backgrounds. So a little bit on the hardware, mostly on software, uh, you know, general software development, AI, machine learning type of things. The other half is a mixture of clinicians, of so doctors and nurses, psychologists, and writers. And so this is what really makes up a team that makes a successful product that really engages with patients. So it's not only about building the technology. The technology is really in service of the ultimate goal that we're after here in terms of helping patients. So we have people who understand this from a, a patient perspective, from a provider perspective, understanding how we fit into the existing healthcare system, right? If we're going to sell something new, we've got to fit into an existing world. Obviously, healthcare is a, a major part of the economy, and so you've got big players that we have to fit into. Uh, and, and also, you know, understanding the interaction piece with the patient. So that's where the psychologists and the writers come in in terms of helping to create the content and how the robot actually tailors the content to that individual. And so, you know, one thing that we look for when we're hiring people to join the team are people, of course, who have expertise in the particular area and role that we're hiring them for, but also people who are motivated to help solve the large healthcare challenges that we're trying to solve as a company. And we've been very successful at finding people who have that motivation. I think that really helps to define the culture that we have here at Catalia Health. Terrific. So, you know, in closing, tell me, tell me how people can get in touch with you. Obviously you've got your website. Are you guys blogging, tweeting, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that cool stuff? Uh, you know, you, you can find us on, on, on any of those places. I'm Corey K, C-O-R-Y-K on Twitter. Uh, there's a contact form on our webpage, and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and other places as well. Terrific. Well, thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, that's a wrap. Corey Kidd of Catalia Health, thank you for sharing your story on the Breaking Health Podcast. Steve Krupa, thanks so much for leading the way and leading these great conversations. Finally, thank you, Breaking Health Podcast listeners, for joining us. If you wouldn't mind doing us a few favors, number one, shoot me an email. If you'd like to uh, talk more about robots or just offer some insights about the podcast, I am at Tom at healthogy.com. Number two, tell your friends about the Breaking Health Podcast if they're into healthcare innovation as much as you are. The more ears to listening, the better. Finally, give us a ranking on iTunes. Let, it, let people know how we're doing. Let us know how we're doing, and it helps people find the show. And don't forget to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit that's happening on November 30th in Boston. Go to healthogy.com, sign up. It's going to sell out. So we'll see you in Boston, my hometown.